Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Podcast Royal. Jessica and I are so happy you're here. We took a nice relaxing week off for Thanksgiving, but we're back this week with full coverage on the British royal family. We have got a lot to cover this episode, so we're going to jump right into the royal rundown, our segment on the royal news of the week. But first of all, Jessica, I wanted to ask you how your Thanksgiving was. Yeah, um, you know, it was it was definitely a different Thanksgiving holiday for me this year, um, but I really did enjoy the extra time to relax and, and just take some time to myself. So I um, normally spend Thanksgiving in Georgia with family. And this year, um, you know, I had traveled the weekend before, so out of an abundance of caution, I just wanted to stay home. Um, and I ended up actually getting a flat tire the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. No. Um, it all kind of worked out where I, I couldn't really travel anyway. But, um, you know, Thanksgiving is really my favorite meal of the year. So I, I did still want to enjoy that tradition. And um, I cooked here. I roasted a turkey breast and made um, some traditional, you know, Thanksgiving dishes. I'm a Southern girl, so I love casseroles and um, tried to make it as healthy as possible. Um, but it was really fun to indulge and just, um, you know, relax a little for the long weekend. So yeah. how was your Thanksgiving? You know, it was pretty lame. <laughs> it was definitely not what I'm used to. So I actually did the same thing. We decided my family to do a socially distanced Thanksgiving this year as well. So um, I did not like that, but I, what I do like is keeping everyone healthy. And so that is what we felt was right. And we did it and we just treated it as any other Thursday and we got through it. And so the hope is that we'll get to be together at Christmas. So definitely, definitely. So, and the Royals had no shortage of news to keep us busy. And a lot of it was really heavy. Yeah. Uh, I felt like, um, you know, of course, the one week that we decided to take off is the busiest week in I know. we had in a while. I know. So we're, so because we took last week off, we are recapping the news from November 14th when we recorded episode one to today, which today is November 30th. So that is two weeks of a lot of news. Some weeks there is not much royal news to dissect, but these two weeks 
were chock full of news. So we're going to start with the heavy stuff at the top and then end with some lighter content so that we don't leave you bummed out when you when you leave. So we're going to jump right on into it. There's so much to unpack, but I feel like we have to start with Megan's devastating op-ed in the New York Times last week where she wrote that she experienced pregnancy loss in July an experience that unfortunately all too many women go through. In my own life, I have a group chat with four of my best friends from home. And if you'll remember, home for me is Kansas. And of those four women, three of them have experienced pregnancy loss and two of them experienced pregnancy loss this summer. So while I have never been pregnant or attempted to be pregnant. I'm not at that stage in my life yet. Just looking at that microcosm, that, that's, that focus group right there shows you how often it happens. And I am so proud of Megan for bringing awareness to a topic that for whatever reason is still not very focused on. So um, I I'm gonna read an excerpt from the op-ed. And I, I do want to warn you that Megan's poignant and powerful words might be triggering for some of you who have experienced this yourselves. And I do know that there is so many of you. So I might suggest fast forwarding it if it will bring up too much pain for you. So no words I could possibly say could be more moving than Megan's own words. So allow me to read a snippet from the piece called The Losses We Share right now. Megan wrote after changing son Archie's diaper in July of this year, quote, I felt a sharp cramp. I dropped to the floor with him in my arms, humming a lullaby to keep us both calm. The cheerful tune, a stark contrast to my sense that something was not right. I knew as I clutched my firstborn child that I was losing my second. Megan is a really talented writer. Um, I've read lots of her work over the years in different magazines and of course on the TIG. And she has a way of capturing that pain so eloquently. So Megan also wrote of the memory of, if you'll remember the ITV journalist, Tom Bradby, who infamously asked her while she and Harry were on tour in South Africa last year, are you okay? And then of course, Megan's response was a moment that was criticized so harshly in the media. She was lambasted, she was mocked incessantly for this response. And now Megan kind of tied it all together and wrote in her op-ed as she sat in her hospital bed, quote, watching my husband's heart break as he tried to hold the shattered pieces of mine. I realized that the only way to begin to heal is to first ask, are you okay? So Megan touches on in the op-ed, of course, COVID-19, but also the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd as signposts that in 2020, maybe we aren't okay. And she writes, quote, this year has brought so many of us to our breaking points. Loss and pain have plagued every one of us in 2020 in moments both fraught and debilitating. Now she also used her piece to provide a platform for those who've experienced pregnancy loss and she writes, quote, losing a child means carrying an almost unbearable grief experienced by many, but talked about by few. 
In the pain of our loss, my husband and I discovered that in a room of 100 women, 10 to 20 of them will have suffered from miscarriage. Yet, despite the staggering commonality of this pain, the conversation remains taboo, riddled with unwarranted shame and perpetuating a cycle of solitary mourning. Through all this, Megan still has the courage and bravery to close her op-ed with optimism, writing, quote, some have bravely shared their stories. They have opened the door, knowing that when one person speaks truth, it gives license for all of us to do the same. We have learned that when people ask how any of us are doing, and when they really listen to the answer with an open heart and mind, the load of grief often becomes lighter for all of us. In being invited to share our pain, together we take the first steps towards healing. Are we okay? We will be. So I am the editor of What Megan Wore, and I was so moved by Megan's op-ed that I wrote an editor's letter about it. And if you'd like to read it, feel free to go to whatmeganwar.net. And basically, Jessica, I cannot express how much courage that must have taken, especially because anything Megan does is mocked and criticized, I feel like. And for her, she had no, she didn't owe us anything, right? Like she did not owe us that that depth of feeling and that that vulnerability but i'd love to know your thoughts on it jessica yeah um i mean you know first of all i, I want to say it's so heartbreaking to hear the news of their miscarriage um and unfortunately that's not uncommon um yeah i i think you know like you said everyone listening has either experienced it firsthand or knows someone who has and, and I really feel for the Sussexes for having to go through that as a family. Um, and it's interesting because you mentioned she chose to write about it and, and to share that part of her life with us. It's very personal. We know that typically the royal family does not always share personal parts of their lives. Um, and it actually made me wonder who else in the royal family may have experienced something like that that yeah. we don't know about. Um, because they have not talked about it yet. You um, said something to me that has stuck with me since we were texting about it on Wednesday of last week when the op-ed broke. You said that you didn't think she would have been able to share that if she were still a full-time working member, a senior member, as they call it, of the royal mm -hmm. family. And I agree with you. I don't I don't think that the the press offices of Buckingham Palace would have let that happen. Yeah, I agree. I think since they've stepped back from those roles and they've uh, distanced themselves a little bit, they they have a lot more freedom to share those parts of their story and, and it is more on their terms. Um, I do wonder why she chose to reference the are you okay question, given that it was so controversial. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was certainly fitting for this piece. Um, you know, but knowing the response that she got when they were on tour, um, I wonder why she chose to bring it up again. And I don't know if it's um, to emphasize why it's important to ask that question um, or if she wanted to point out the fact that at this point in, in her life, she's actually able to answer honestly and openly how she's doing. I almost wonder if it's like she's reclaiming that moment that kind of just went so out of control 
and she was so mocked for. And it's almost like she's grabbing it by both hands and taking it back and saying, you know, I'm, I'm reclaiming this. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of, of the way I reacted with emotion. And I just, I can't say enough how brave I think it was for her to share this and how thankful I am that she's bringing light to an issue that is so, it's, it's so under talked about, if you will. I mean, I, again, I have never experienced this myself and I hope I never do, but just looking at the focus group of five women, four plus me, and that three of them have experienced this tells you how common this really is. And so I hope if nothing else comes out of this, that women that have experienced this just feel like they're not alone. Absolutely. So that was, uh, the, the Sussexes tend to break news <laughs> right before, um, so they, so the day that they stepped down from the royal family, January 8th, I was flying out of the country <laughs> and I was scrambling to get something together. And it was just, I just couldn't. And then the day before Thanksgiving. And so honestly, like I'm too much of an empath. So I spent Thanksgiving, first of all, this Thanksgiving was hard anyway, being socially distanced from my family. And then with this news, and then I was writing about it and it was just a heavy Thanksgiving, but you know what, Megan, you can be vulnerable whenever you want, but it was the day before a holiday. So, um, so continuing on with the upsetting news, keeping it real light and fluffy on the podcast this week. Um, I was also really sad to hear since we spoke on the podcast last that the Cambridge's dog Lupo passed away at the age of nine. I mm -hmm. love animals. I love dogs and I hate to see a family lose a family pet, especially children. Um, of course, Lupo's been around for the entirety of George, Charlotte, and Louis's lives. So Lupo was an English Cocker Spaniel. He was given to William and Kate by Kate's brother, James Middleton. And on Kensington Royals Instagram, the Cambridges wrote, very sadly last weekend, our dear dog Lupo passed away. He has been at the heart of our family for the past nine years and we will miss him so much. So I don't have a dog right now. We lost our family dog in 2013 in a tragic way. And honestly, I haven't been able to get another pet since then because it shook me so much. Um, Riley was his name. He was only five. Jessica, you have Edison. And so you have a dog who's adorable. You love him. So, um, again, having this happen right around the holidays, it's never, there's never a good time to lose an, a family pet. But um, how do you think, how do you think the Cambridges are dealing with it? How do you think they're, they're, how do you think the kids are doing? Yeah, I mean, I was so sad to hear this story. Um, he was such a beautiful dog. And, and like you mentioned, I'm a dog lover and, and I've got one myself and, and he's been in my life for 10 years and, and they really are a member of your family. I mean, it feels like, you know, he's my child. So yeah. I can't help but feel for them. I know that he was close, um, a, a close member of their family. We've seen him in photos over the years. 
Um, and, and I imagine it's tough with kids, you know, when you grow up and, and you have a dog in your life from birth, you have someone to snuggle with or share a treat with. And, and I think with kids, it can be hard to process that. So, so I definitely think that they're feeling a void. It just seems like the whole family is the family of dog people. So do you think that they'll get a, another dog soon? I definitely do. I think that we'll probably see them with a family dog over the years. Um, I think that they'll probably always have a pet. So, um, and I was going to ask you, do you know what Lupo means? Okay. At one point I did. So I know that Harry and Megan's dog is named after the bots wanting currency, but sounds like, you know, what Lupo means. So what does it mean? It means wolf. Oh, in what language? Uh, I couldn't tell you that. I would have to look that up. Interesting. I was reading about it this week and um, apparently the, um, the palace staff were very secretive about the name Lupo when they first got the dog out of uh, respect for privacy for the Cambridges. Uh Uh, And then Kate ultimately revealed the name in a public engagement that she was doing. um, And they talked about the meaning of the name. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He was a beautiful dog. So rest in peace, Lupo. Um, I know I speak for Jessica when I say we consider our, our animals like family. So I know the Cambridges likely do as well. So we're, our hearts go out to them as well. So the hits just keep on coming. We just are on a really depressing train this week. So the crown season four, we recorded episode one on November 14th, the day before season four was released on November 15th. I watched it in one day. How, where are you at Jessica? Are you, are you finished yet? I have finished. Yes. Oh, okay. So we'll talk about thoughts at the end. I'm not going to, we're not going to give any spoilers away for those of you that have more self-control than I do and are parsing it out. But I will say that this is the so-called Charles and Diana season, and it does not disappoint. So while, as Jessica said on our last episode, this is a Hollywood depiction of the events of the late 1970s to the late 1980s, early 1990s. I think it stops in the year 1990, actually. The vast majority of it is true. And actually, in some cases, it's even worse in real life than on Netflix. They left out some particularly harrowing parts of the war on the Waleses, which is what the press called Charles and Diana's troubled marriage, including Diana flinging herself down the stairs while pregnant with William because she was so distraught. For whatever reason, they also left out scenes of Charles and Diana's actual wedding. So for one of our segments today, I'd like to take a moment to share some factoids about that day, July 29th, 1981. So on this day, Charles, Prince of Wales, 32, married Lady Diana Spencer, who had just turned, this is just shocking to me still, who had just turned 20 earlier in the month. Look, I am 34 years old. I'm still not married yet. I feel like I'm just now at a place where (laughs) I could be a good wife. I was definitely not wife material at basically 19 years old. Her birthday's July 1st. They got married on July 29th. She wasn't even a month into her 20th year. So I was not born yet on Wednesday, July 29th, 1981, but millions of Americans, including my mom, hi mom, tuned in to watch the fairy tale unfold. In fact, 750 million watched from around the world. So while the marriage was less than stellar, the wedding was spectacular. So here's a few facts about the event that you might not know. It took place at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and it was declared a national holiday, much like William and Kate's wedding was in 2011. 
Charles and Diana chose St. Paul's over Westminster Abbey because it offered more seating. There were 3,500 people in attendance. So just a small family wedding, right? Including Charles's ex and later mistress and now wife, Camilla Parker Bowles, who Diana spotted as she walked down the aisle. Obviously, if you've seen the crown, very much knowing who she was and her place in her husband's life. The cost of the wedding is estimated at $48 million in 1981 dollars. So that translates to between 70 and $110 million today. And over $600,000 was spent on security alone. The carriage that held Diana and her father, John Spencer, was too small to hold the two of them in Diana's massive dress that train, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the train in just a second. Now it took Diana three and a half minutes to walk down the aisle. If you've ever waited on something in the microwave for a minute, you know how long that is. She was walking down the aisle for three and a half minutes. So when she was saying her vows, Diana was petrified. You can see the look on her face when you watch video of the wedding. So Diana flubbed the order of her husband's name. She, she said Philip Charles Arthur George instead of Charles Philip Arthur George. So, so she actually married a guy named Philip, which of course is her father-in-law. So that's interesting. You can again, you can watch this if you, you can YouTube this. Just type in Charles and Diana's wedding and you can see her mess up her, she's so nervous she messed up her husband's own name. And Charles messed up too when he was taking his vows he vowed to offer her thy goods instead of my worldly goods. So she said, so he basically said in his vows, I'll give you your goods. <laughs> I'm not giving you mine. <laughs> um, controversially at the time, Diana refused to say that she would obey Charles and her vows. This caused a huge stir at the time. And I think that's kind of a cool girl power moment. So Diana's dress, it was designed by brother and sister team, Elizabeth and David Emmanuel. In 1981 pounds, it was valued at 9,000 pounds, which is roughly 34,750 pounds today. A lot of money for that dress. It was made of ivory silk taffeta and decorated with lace, hand embroidery, sequins, and 10,000 pearls. A lot of pearls. So wow. because of this is this um, this is kind of touched on in the crown. It talks about Diana's struggles with an eating disorder, but because of bridal nerves and her rampant eating disorder, Diana's dress had to be taken in from a 27 inch waist to a 23 inch waist before the wedding. She had lost so much weight. Her dress had a hidden good luck charm an 18 karat gold horseshoe trinket adorned with white diamonds. Now I told you I, a minute ago, I'd talk about the train. The train of the dress was a whopping 25 feet, fulfilling Diana's wish to have the longest train in royal wedding history. I'm pretty sure that still has not been topped um, as many royal weddings as there have been since then, because I know Kate's wasn't that long. Megan's was long, her veil was long, but I don't think it was 25 feet. So y'all can fact check me on this, but I don't think that it has been duplicated. Diana wore her family's heirloom tiara, which I love. The Spencer tiara is my favorite tiara ever. 
She also wore an ivory silk tall veil and low heeled shoes with, I like this detail, with C and D hand painted on the arches. I think I'm gonna steal that from my wedding. Okay, this is the funniest detail to me and I'm gonna butcher the name of this perfume. So I'm just telling y'all that right now. Diana wore Quelquist Floors by, by this, I can't even, by Home Bignot Parfume. I, I'm sorry, you can just look it up, Google it. <laughs> the oldest French fragrance company. And, and this, is so, this is so like what happens when you are, you know, you're marrying the wrong guy you're nervous, you're 20 years old, and her jitters while putting the perfume on, she spilled the perfume all over herself and the dress. Now, if you know that knowledge and you go back and you watch the royal wedding, you can spot her trying to cover the stain up during the ceremony with her flowers. Uh, when I found that out, I went back and watched it, and sure enough, she is holding her, her hands, she's holding her bouquet very awkwardly. And it's because she literally spilled the entire bottle of perfume all over herself. I can only imagine what she smelled like. <laughs> I wonder if it was just like, you could probably smell her from the other side of London. So I actually know that story, but I did, um, I did know that I guess mishaps at weddings are a common theme among yeah. the royal because Queen Elizabeth actually broke her tiara the day of her I wedding. didn't know that. Yeah. She broke <laughs> made, her tiara? She broke it, yeah. And they no. made it back together um, before the wedding. I didn't know that. Okay, well, speaking of the queen, so Diana had two identical wedding bouquets because the queen insisted because at her own wedding, her majesty lost her bouquet and didn't want the same thing to happen to her daughter-in-law. So apparently... Uh, the queen had some mishaps at her wedding in 1947. So after the ceremony, 120 guests went to Buckingham Palace for a wedding breakfast. And upon appearing on the palace balcony to greet well-wishers, the couple kissed, thereby starting that tradition. And do you know, Jessica, the reason why they kissed on the balcony? I don't think that I do. So they forgot to kiss at the church. They, they oh. you know how when the the priest or the preacher or whatever announces you husband and wife you kiss well they didn't do it they forgot they were so nervous and I mean I can't I can't imagine getting married in front of 750 million people you know and so they forgot to kiss at the ceremony at St. Paul's Cathedral so they did it on the balcony and then of course we've seen Kate and William do it since then um, Harry and Meghan didn't do it on the balcony but they did it on the steps of St. George's Chapel so they started that tradition in 1981. Fergie and Andrew kissed on the balcony in 1986 when they got married. Um, and the last factoid I'll share is the couple had 27 wedding cakes, one of which weighed 225 pounds. So thoughts on all of this knowledge, Jessica. <laughs> well, we know the 80s was really a decade of abundance. That's um, so true. Just went over the top with the frills and the ruffles and yes. everything. So it's right on par with, with the style of that decade. It was definitely um, opulent. It was a fairy tale. So one thought that I had on that was I'm really actually surprised Diana... Oh, I mean, I don't know what say she had over this, but I'm surprised that she allowed Camilla to be invited to the wedding. I'm not um, sure she allowed that. I mean, I think that was a Charles thing. I mean, she knew even before they got married that there was something. Oh, yeah. Something 
going on there. Um, so that, you know, that's really unfortunate. Um, and then imagine, can you even imagine walking down the aisle and seeing the woman that is, first of all, your husband's ex, but not really even his ex. (laughs) He's so very much, if not physically involved with her, emotionally involved with her. This is the woman, we're going to talk about this in a minute on the podcast, but this is a woman who he should have married all along. They should have ended up together in the beginning and it probably would have caused a lot of people a lot less heartbreak, but um, the gall of Camilla to attend and for her to be invited. Now, Camilla was a part of that set, that social set. So, you know, by virtue of association, she would have been invited, but to attend, you know, even I would think that would be hard on Camilla to watch the man you really love get married to someone else. I wouldn't want to be there, even if I was in that position. That the whole thing is just a little strange, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I would have thought that there would have been enough people in the royal family that were aware of the situation and would yeah. have, you know, done something to prevent that. But either way, um, I wonder why they didn't show the wedding. They showed the rehearsal, but they didn't show the wedding on the crown. And I wonder why that is maybe it just maybe it just came down to production costs that it would I mean I just told you how much that wedding cost I don't know I I was there they touched on some really high point like and by high points I don't mean happy points but like important points of the 1980s but they also left some some things out that I think people that know the story and lived the story would have said I wonder why they left that out that's probably one part of Charles and Diana's relationship that the majority, the vast majority of people are aware of and, yeah. and about. So I don't know why they didn't, why they if didn't. If you know it. nothing else about Charles and Diana, I'm pretty sure that you knew about the wedding and you probably watched it or you at least saw coverage of it. Again, Jessica and I were not alive yet, but it was White. If, if we think that William and Kate's wedding or Harry and Meghan's wedding was a big deal, take that times a million for, for this really was supposed to be the fairy tale. And I even think that the priest at the ceremony said, this is the stuff of which fairy tales are made. The, the, the hope of that marriage and knowing how it turns out is very hard to watch. So, all right, some mm-hmm. other thoughts I have on the crown season four. It was incredibly well done and entertaining. And let me tell you, in profile, Emma Corrin, the actress that plays Diana, looks so much like her that mm-hmm. it is eerie. Now, from front on, give her, t- uh, you know, sometimes. But in profile, she looks exactly like her. She also sounds exactly like her. She nailed Diana's accent. And, oh, my gosh, Jillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. Give her all the Emmys. That is so Emmy worthy. I just can't imagine anybody else winning the Emmy but her. And of course, the Charles and Camilla plotline continues into season four from season three. So I'm going to share something I wrote. This is in part, I'm not going to share the whole thing. It's long enough as it is. Something I wrote about these two called Charles and Camilla, I forgive you so that you can know how I feel about this issue. And then Jessica and I are going to unpack it. 
Charles at 32 is being pushed, read, forced to get on with this marriage thing and do one of the major duties he was assigned at birth as an heir to the British throne, produce more heirs and ensure the longevity of the monarchy. Not only was he being forced to settle down, but his bride, the Princess of Wales, couldn't be just anyone. She had to be British. She had to be aristocratic and from royal blood, not royal blood like the royal family, but you know, aristocratic blue blood. She had to have never been married and oh yeah, she had to be a virgin, that is true. Back in 1981, the Princess of Wales had to be a virgin, that's so archaic. Not to mention she had to be willing to take on the often daunting prospect of everyone in the world knowing who she was. That woman would be damn near impossible to find in 2020 and it was in 1982, 1980 comma T-O-O, not 1982, the year. Just clarifying that. That's why when Charles found a suitable bride, he locked her down after only about six months of dating and asked for her hand in marriage in February, 1981. He and Diana were married, as I said earlier, on July 29th of that same year, having only known one another in a romantic sense for less than a year, and this gets me, having only been in the same room and not just talking on the phone 13 times. These two barely knew each other. I look at Diana so beautiful walking down the aisle to get married and I don't see happiness. As I just said, I see a lamb being led to the slaughter. Charles didn't love her, he barely knew her. And she at barely 20 was just a young kid in love, caught up in the idea of marrying her Prince Charming. And we wonder why this thing went to hell so quickly. In actuality, Charles met his soulmate Camilla Shand in 1971 when he was 22. Camilla had just broken up with Andrew Parker Bowles, who she would later end up marrying, wait for it. And Andrew was actually weirdly enough, if you watch The Crown season three, courting Charles's younger sister, Princess Anne. Charles and Camilla became the best of friends. They shared so many interests in common. From the start, Charles felt comfortable around her and he so rarely felt comfortable around anyone. Eventually they, became, they began dating rather seriously. Then Charles, a member of the Royal Navy, went overseas to serve in early 1973. Charles made the mistake of not formally asking Camilla to wait for him and Camilla, a woman driven towards what she wants, married her ex-boyfriend, Andrew Parker Bowles, while Charles was still abroad. When Charles found out that Camilla had married Andrew, he was leveled, devastated, and he was crushed. She was and always would be the love of his life. He wrote in a letter at the time to Lord Louis Mountbatten, his great uncle, mentor, his honorary grandfather, and the only elder who could ever give him the paternal love he so desperately desired, who is featured prominently and tragically in this season of The Crown, he wrote to him, I suppose the feeling of emptiness will pass eventually. It wouldn't have mattered. There was no way the royal establishment would have approved a Charles and Camilla marriage at that time anyway. She was certainly not a virgin, not that it matters, but it did back then and wasn't nearly as blue blooded as she needed to be. After Lord Mountbatten, the one person Charles could turn to about anything was assassinated in August, 1979 he turned to Camilla for emotional support that was impossible to find within his own family. They purportedly rekindled their romance then and off and on to the present day never stopped. But Camilla was married and even if she divorced Andrew in 1980, it was still a no-go to marry a divorcee, especially the Prince of Wales, the direct heir to the British throne. 
which is why, by the way, it's such a big deal that Harry, even though he's not the heir, was allowed to marry Meghan, who is a divorcee. Charles proposed to other women and they all declined. Then in 1980, he looked at the younger sister of Sarah Spencer, a girl Charles used to date, who by now is Sarah McCorkadale, having gotten married herself in 1980, a little bit differently. Diana was 13 years younger than him and only 19. Diana Spencer possessed one thing that at the time captivated him, but years later he would come to despise about her. She was an emotional person too. While sitting on a bale of hay at a friend's barbecue in July 1980, Charles mentioned how shaken up he still was about Lord Mountbatten's brutal murder. Diana, a caretaker, a classic middle child and a peacemaker, told Charles that he looked like he needed someone to care for him. That was really all it took for Charles to see this woman who checked all of the boxes needed to make a royal bride as his wife. He might have loved her, but he was not in love with her. She was in love with him, but in the way that youth and inexperience and the fascination of a fairy tale makes a little girl love a grown man. I think she thought, as so many of us women incorrectly have, that he could save her. When they got engaged in February 1981, she looked smitten. He says his famous line in their engagement interview after asking if he was in love, whatever in love means. They married five months later. As we just talked about on the podcast, Camilla was in the audience at Charles and Diana's wedding. She never fully left the picture ever. There would be breaks where Charles would try to be a good husband and try to uphold his vows, but it never lasted. As Diana once famously said, well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. By the time Harry was a newborn in late 1984, the Wales's marriage had irretrievably fallen apart. Charles was back with Camilla and Diana had affairs of her own. They tried to keep a good face for the public and the press, but just look at photographs of them in the late 80s and early 90s. They really grew to resent one another. Eventually the pressure got to be too much and they separated in 1992 and divorced in 1996. Diana died in 1997, of course. And after his divorce, Charles declared to his mother, the queen, that his relationship with Camilla was a non-negotiable and they were introduced to the public as a couple in 1999. They married in 2005, by the way. So now at 72, Charles has long settled into his professional role. He's been the Prince of Wales since birth and has been in training for the top job since he can remember. He's finally at peace in his personal life. His sons have fully accepted Camilla so why shouldn't I, I guess? It's still hard for me to say. The inevitable truth is that Charles is going to be king. Camilla is going to be queen consort. They're happy, they're in love, and we gain nothing by not accepting what is as what is. So I am inhaling pot. This is very still hard for me to do, by the way, especially after watching season four of The Crown where all of these feelings of hatred towards Camilla and Charles for that matter came back up as I'm sure it was for many of you, but I am inhaling positivity, exhaling negativity, and with it, exhaling my negative feelings, or I'm trying to, towards the Prince of Wales. Charles, while a future king, you are just a man. Your mistakes are yours and not any other man's. I will no longer make you the symbol for every love gone wrong, but you're still a jerk. Just saying, I will see your life for the complex, often unhappy, often unfulfilling journey it has been and be thankful for you, my fellow human. These words are like vinegar to say that you have finally found peace, happiness, and love in a world that seems to be increasingly scarce at doling out all of the above. So I'm really trying to let my grudge go here and wish them well. 
because your success is king is all of our success and i wish you nothing but peace happiness and love for you me and all of us i'm saying these words that i wrote last year whenever i wrote them and i'm trying to believe them i finally realized in my increasing maturity that loving diana and respecting you do not have to be mutually exclusive it's taken me 34 years to say this but charles and camilla whew, i forgive you and i wish you well but i still think what you did was wrong so unpack that one jessica <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. I, um, you know, you mentioned he approached his mother and said their relationship was a non-negotiable. And I wonder how that would have gone if he had done that before Diana. Um, yeah. You know, I want to think that Queen Elizabeth would have ultimately given her blessing um, if he had done that. And, you know, given what we know about Princess Margaret and Peter Townsend and, and their love and, and now Charles and Camilla, I think those are reasons why Queen Elizabeth did give Harry and Meghan her approval. I agree. I don't think she wanted to stand in the way of love. And I think in her many years and, you know, of life and, and all that she's experienced, she knew um, you know, if two people love each other, you know, you, you have to honor that or, you know, look what happens when you don't. Um, yeah, I so. agree. It's just so, it just never should have happened. I mean, I'm so glad obviously that Charles and Diana married and they had William and Harry, but it just should have been them from the start. And I think a lot of hearts would be saved. Diana might very well still be alive. We don't know, we can't speculate, but it's just heartbreaking. And it's so heartbreaking to see someone try so hard to win the love of the wrong man. And not only to do that, and I mean, hell, I've been there in my own personal life, but I haven't done it on the global stage when I was 20, you know? And so it's just, it's hard to watch and the hardest part is that it's all true and so season five is going to be because they they tend on the crown to do seasons in 10-year blocks so this next season will be 1990 to 2000 which of course will be their separation in 1992 their divorce in 1996 her death in 1997 so that's it's just going to be so heavy but last thoughts from you on season four of the crown what did you think well, I was definitely sucked into every scene with Princess Diana. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the recreations of her outfits. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of them I thought, wow, these are like almost more pretty than the than the real outfit itself. Um, I mean, they did a really great job. Um, and, you know, it really just made me think about their relationship on a deeper level. You know, right after I finished season four, I went on and watched Diana in her own words on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and, and it just really confirmed some of what was depicted in The Crown, you know, to, to hear it in her own voice. Um, but again, they do preface that, um, that film with saying that these interviews that they did with Diana we're at a low point in her marriage. And I think we also have to recognize that it is one side of the story. And Charles really, given his role, um, is unable to 
comment on on his perspective yeah um, so you know I think we have to take that into account too and and I think it's just really tough for everyone and and I don't know who in the royal family watches the crown or if they watch it at all but I can imagine that's got to be really difficult um, for William and Harry to have those personal parts of their family and their own lives on display in that way. So I have three things to say about that. First of all, it has been confirmed that Zara's husband, Mike Tyndall, watches The Crown, and I bet he's not alone. I've heard from several sources as well that uh, people think Camilla actually watches. Oh, I've heard that too. And God, how hard would that be to watch yourself be portrayed in that way? Um, but Secondly, I, I read today, actually, that the royal family was asked to fact check the crown, to preview it, and they oh, wow. declined. They declined. I mean, I think that ties back into Charles not being able to, to talk. We know the royal family's motto is never complain, never explain. And yeah. I think it's honestly probably the best um, to let people imagine what they will and um, and keep private what's private i wonder what the feeling i do british people watch the crown i mean i assume they do but i wonder i mean i guess a lot of people lived this but i wonder what the general feeling now that this season is out about charles and camilla is right now amongst the british public yeah i don't know i've wondered that as well um yeah he's you know definitely um i feel like we're ripping the bandage off of some old wounds and kind of reopening yeah. again. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think because Charles has been in this role as Prince for so long, Camilla has really kind of been in the background and we've seen her recently step up and make more public appearances and, and step into more duties um, in her role. And I think, I, I sort of feel like the public forgot for a little while that she will actually be queen consort one day. Which and still, I'm going to be honest with you, makes me sick. I just can't. Like, me too. Me too. I, it's not even that I want, I mean, of course I want Diana to be alive, but it's not even that I want Diana to be queen. It's just that I don't want her to be queen consort. Like, I just, like, I just can't, I just can't get fully over this. And like, I don't know if I ever will. And I just need to get over myself. I don't know these people personally, but it like if William and Harry can be so accepting of her, which they always have been. And I think that shows an enormous amount of emotional maturity on their part. If they could get over it then and, and tr really truly accept her, like not regard her as the evil stepmother, but really like her, then I need to get over it. But I just cannot quite wrap my head around that one well yeah I mean it doesn't feel right and you know Diana even said in an interview if if she could have it her way that Charles would go off with his lady and yep. and leave her and the boys to carry on the Wales family name yep. and so you know we think about that and you know I mean to your point earlier I you know what happened happened and 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 cannot be changed but I do still feel upset with how Charles handled the situation. Um, yeah. You know, regardless of what had gone on with him and Camilla in the past, I think 
when you make that decision to marry someone, you've got to move forward and honor that. And, and I sort of feel like he never gave it a fair chance with Diana because yeah. he never fully cut off Camilla. Um, and, and it just, it wasn't really fair for her. Yeah. Everybody lost, everybody lost in, in that situation. My final thought on the crown is this. Of course, we know that The Crown is on Netflix and Harry and Meghan, of course, just signed this $150 million deal with Netflix. Is that weird? Is that a, a conflict of interest? Um, because this show that so brazenly depicts his parents, like this isn't even, I mean, now we're, in, now we're to the point in the show where we're not even talking about his grandmother I mean, we are, of course, but like we're like we're talking about his parents, and there's shots in there of him, in there. So, mm -hmm. is that weird? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it is weird. I, I guess I don't know what um, what this contract entails, yeah, and what they'll be doing. I'll be interested to see that. Um, you may know more about that than I do. I don't but, know anything about it. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely, definitely brings some thoughts to question. Um, and I'm not, I mean, I guess they're allowed to do that now. Um, we shall see. Okay. Go watch the crown season four. If you haven't, it's really good. It was my favorite season so far because you just can't beat the juice of Charles and Diana. So we, okay. Depressing time over. We're going to move on to uh, the end of the rundown on some good news. So Kate is thriving in her work, revealing the results of her five big questions survey after nearly 1 million people responded to it. This is the work of Kate's life. These results will help shape the work of her going forward as it relates to early childhood development, which of course is her passion project and how it impacts the rest of our lives. This is also a lead up according to Kensington Palace to 2021 seeing the Duchess announce quote, ambitious plans to help elevate the importance of early childhood, end quote. So these are my words now. This is, as I said, truly the work of Kate's life. She should be immensely proud of herself. So here are some key findings from the report according to Harper's Bazaar. Exactly 98% of survey participants believe that a child's future is not predetermined at birth and that nurture is essential to lifelong outcomes. However, only one in four recognize the importance of the first five years of a child's life. The reality of life makes it difficult for parents to prioritize their well-being. 90% of people see parental mental health and well-being as critical to a child's development, but only 10% of parents mentioned taking the time to look after their own mental well-being when asked how they had prepared for the arrival of a baby. Worryingly, the survey results shared by Kensington Palace reveal over a third of all parents, 37%, expect the COVID-19 pandemic to have a negative impact on their long-term mental well-being, which is worrying but not shocking. 70% of parents feel judged by others, and half of those admit that it negatively impacts their mental health. I've seen that amongst my friends that are parents. Parental loneliness has increased during the pandemic from 38% to 63% due to being cut off from friends and family, the increase in loneliness for parents is more apparent in deprived areas. And finally, across the UK, 40% of parents feel that community support has grown substantially during the pandemic, although this is 7% lower 
in the most deprived areas. So way to go, Kate. We are proud of you. We can't wait to see what's to come from this. And more happy news. People Magazine's sexiest royal alive list for 2020 is in. And the top spot goes to none other than Prince Harry. Yay. So, yay. Who took over for his brother, Prince William, who nabbed the top spot last year. So William was a runner up, as was Prince Felix of Luxembourg. My personal crush object, Prince Carl Philip of Sweden. He is so fine. Truly a sight to behold. Please get on your phone and Google Prince Carl Philip of Sweden right now. You will not be disappointed. And finally, Prince Mateen of Brunei. And my last item on the rundown today is the annual list of hardest working royals compiled by Britain's Press Association. Should be out soon. It usually comes out in the early to mid part of December. Of course, this year is gonna be a strange year with COVID, but I wonder how everyone will fare. So for comparison's sake, last year in 2019, the hardest working royal for the third year in a row was our friend, Princess Anne with 167 days worked. Her brother and heir to the throne, Charles, came in second with 125 days worked. For comparison's sake, the queen worked 67 days, which was four more than in 2018. And on the whole, the family worked an average of 84.5 days in 2019, or about a third of the 253 working days in the UK. Now this information is obtained from records of the monarchy's official engagements recorded in the court circular, which you can Google, anybody can have access to it. However, some family members do carry out private engagements that support their public work. So that, that kind of stuff does not make the court circular, but you can go to the Royal Family's Media Center and see all of this stuff. So, Okay, rundown is over. This was a heavy week for me on the news commentary side. Hopefully we ended up on a positive note. Hopefully this week will be lighter on the depressing news. And next week, I will be back to share the Christmas traditions of Sandringham, which of course will be a little bit different this year, but we can still look back on Christmases of yore and smile. So with that, I'm turning it over to you, my friend. Yeah, um, and before I jump into my segment, I had two little updates that I wanted to share that just kind of yeah. came across this week and, and took a note to share this. So um, you mentioned Prince Carl Philip of um, Sweden. Love of my life. He and his wife, um, Princess Sophia, actually both tested positive. For yes, I heard that. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so it was it was kind of interesting because their last engagement that they had attended prior to testing positive was a funeral they had been to together. But the interesting thing was everyone who attended the funeral had to have a negative COVID test before they could go. Huh. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny how this thing works. We don't we don't really understand, you know, sometimes symptoms show up later. Um, but they're, they're going through contact tracing and trying to make sure that they check everyone who may have come in contact with them. But the good news here is Carl, um, Philip, and Sophia are both feeling well overall. I think okay. they've got very mild symptoms. Um, and to our listeners, if you're not familiar with Prince Carl Philip, he is fourth in line to the throne in Sweden. 
he and Princess Sophia have two sons, ages four and three. And Princess Sophia has actually been really involved with the fight against COVID this year. So earlier this year, she did um, an online course uh, to help get her prepared to volunteer in hospitals in Sweden. And she actually got suited up and was uh, volunteering at a hospital where she's an honorary chair earlier this year. So good job to her for her work. And we uh, wish them well and hope that they recover. We are for sure going to cover, cover the royal family of Sweden at some point because they are beautiful. So there's three siblings. There's Carl Philip, then there's Victoria and Madeline. And they, I mean, just these are just beautiful people like just yes I, I love their their whole family and also Monaco we like we like the Monaco royal family too in Luxembourg so we, this is a British royal family podcast but we're gonna talk about the the other fams too and my other update is what I think is the most interesting news of the week and I'm sure you probably saw this Rachel um so Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank have moved into Frogmore Cottage. Oh my gosh, Jessica, I I spaced that. Thank God for you. I completely forgot that. Hello, yes. Oh my gosh, massive fail as a news commentator. Yes, Eugenie and Jack have moved into Harry and Meghan's old, you know, old pad, old little tiny shack. Just kidding, Frogmore Cottage. Yeah, so I did a little digging on this. Um, it, you know, it, it initially caught my eye and I was super curious. So um, you may remember Harry and Meghan initially um, spent a couple million at least yeah. in renovations of Frogmore Cottage. Um, and so I was kind of curious, you know, what may have sparked the move of Eugenie and Jack into the home. So what we know is prior to this, they were living um, on the grounds of Kensington Palace in London. So Frogmore Cottage is in Windsor. It's a little bit of a commute, so it gives them a little more privacy. Mm-hmm. And it's also only four miles from Eugenie's parents and her childhood home. Um, we also know that she's expecting. And the renovations that were done at Frogmore Cottage included a nursery installation Mm -hmm. and um, a lot of landscaping work just to help make it more accommodating for a family with young children. So um, Frogmore Cottage is a five bedroom home. So I I think this sounds like a really good option for Eugenie and Jack with a new baby. Um, We know that she's close to Prince Harry and I think it'll be a great way for them to to welcome the baby and start their young family in this home since Harry and Meghan um, are now relocated to California. And, you know, a lot of people after hearing this story um, feel like this is further confirmation that they really probably don't have plans to go back to Britain anytime soon. Which shocks no one probably. I mean, their one year anniversary of the step down is coming up very quickly. And, you know, if you'll remember, they did the 12 month and then we'll reassess. But I mean, obviously, I, I think this move is total proof that they're not coming back anytime soon. So right. good for them for living there and making it so it's not just collecting dust. It's a beautiful home. And um, of course, Eugenie is giving birth in early 2021. So hopefully that will be the home where they raise many little babies, many little Brooks Bank babies. 
Um, okay, so we'll uh, jump into this last segment of the this episode. I have gathered a royally inspired Christmas gift guide for our listeners. Um, so I've put together 10 items and one bonus item. Um, and these are just things that give some sort of inspiration um, from the royal family that maybe you want to add to your list of gift ideas for others, or maybe you want to add this to your own wish list. So we'll get started. Um, the first item on this list is a book on the royals. So 2020 was really um, quite a big year for new royal books. We, we saw quite a few come out and I um, have looked into a couple myself and the two that I put on my list as recommendations are Battle of Brothers by Robert Lacey. Uh, Rachel and I, we, we both read that one. Um, so that's a good read if you have someone who really just enjoys reading and they, and they wanna learn more. Then the other option is HRH, So Many Thoughts on Royal Style by Elizabeth Holmes. Um, this one just came out this past week, and you I was get actually... it the next time I see you, by the way. So <laughs> Jessica and I, it's snowing in Alabama today, which is very weird. So we're recording this from two separate locations. You were going to get it tonight, but you'll get it <laughs> next week. That sounds good. Um, so I actually, this past weekend, went on a little hunt to see if I could find the HRH book um, to see how readily available it was with everything that I've seen buzzing about it on social media. I expected it to be front and center, and I was really surprised when I went in Barnes & Noble. I had a hard time finding it. Hmm. I actually circled the aisles a couple times and got someone to help me, um, and I did end up finding it. They had it on a shelf there. They actually don't have it on shelves at our local Target, Rachel. Really? They have it on the app. So if you're looking to buy this for a gift, um, my recommendation is to shop the Target app. Um, as far as price point concerns you go, you will get a better deal um, going through the Target app. So. It's on the bestseller list. So I'm surprised it's not more prominently displayed at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, I was too. Um, yeah. So, all right. Item number two is a, and, and I'll go ahead and just say right off the bat, this is a splurge item. Um, item number two is a strawberry handbag. Mm. So these bags are pricey, um, but they are very pretty handbags, very classic. Um, Megan has seen, been seen wearing these um, a couple of different times. And the first time we saw her wear um, a strawberry handbag was in 2017 on her first royal engagement. And that's really, really when they started gaining popularity. I think the styles that she has been seen carrying range from six to $800. So, I mean, they're a pretty big splurge. And the one thing I will say about this bag, because they are so unique in their style, it's really hard to find an affordable dupe of this bag. Um, it's just got such a unique look with the gold bar for the closure and the, the handles. It's very structured and sleek. Um, so I do recommend if this is a bag that you like and you want, if you want the original strawberry bag, but you 
don't want to spend full price. Um, shop sales. I know Nordstrom carries these bags and they run sales sometimes. You can also look on places like eBay um, or even Poshmark for a slightly used bag. Um, I did find something on Amazon. It's not, it's not an exact dupe of this bag, but if you want an extremely affordable option that just kind of has the same feel with the crossbody strap and, and the little, um, the handles on the bag as well, there is a bag and I can put this in the show notes. It's called, um, a shoulder tote by Cosifer and it, it comes in black vegan leather and it's $23.99. So Whoa, hey. I really want to deal. That's <laughs> um, more in you know, my budget. Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of gives that same look and feel of the, the sleek structured bag, um, but at a much lower price point. Number three is to give a handmade gift. We know that Kate has been known to do this in the past. One um, Christmas, she actually handmade fishing flies for Prince Philip. And another year, she made homemade strawberry jam and plum preserves for members of the royal family. So I thought that was really cute. And we know when you give gifts during the holidays, it's really the thought that counts. And making a gift really adds that added special touch. It doesn't have to be an expensive gift to be special. It can be something that you put your own um, work into, whether you like to sew or cross stitch or you like to cook. Um, I definitely encourage everyone to get creative and, and think about a homemade gift this year. All right, so um, number four, this one is a fun one. Um, I definitely recommend a gag gift for the holidays. And I'm sure we'll talk about this next week, Rachel, but we know the Royals every year have a tradition of giving silly gag gifts. Yep. Um, you know, I guess when you get to that level of wealth, you don't, <laughs> there's not really you much. Get that the you woman eat. that has everything. Right. Yeah. So they have a tradition. And, and I think the goal there is to spend as little as possible, but get as many laughs as possible. Um, so some examples of royal gag gifts that have been given in the past um, is one year Kate gave Harry a grow your own girlfriend kit. <laughs> <laughs> that was obviously before Megan was Megan well, obviously yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and then one year Princess Anne actually gave Charles a, a leather toilet seat um, oh my gosh I thought it was so funny because apparently it's reported that he loved it so much he actually still brings it with him when he travels to use wow you can't, you can't say about this family that they don't have a good sense of humor. You can't say that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, but yeah, definitely get creative, look online. Um, I actually checked Etsy. They have some fun kind of Royal gag gifts. I saw a face mask with looks like the bottom half of Queen Elizabeth's face. <laughs> um, and that was a really funny option. I thought. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so number five is a really great classic gift, but it's also a little bit of a splurge. Um, number five is a barber jacket. Mm. So these jackets are super classic. They are not going to go out of style. Um, you can imagine the royal family out, you know, in the field shooting their guns or hunting, wearing these quilted or waxed field jackets. Um, we actually know that Her Majesty the Queen, Prince Philip, 
and Prince Charles have all awarded this brand a royal warrant, which means mm. the barber can actually advertise the fact that they supply their jackets to the royal family. So um, these jackets do range uh, a pretty good bit um, in, in price. I would say on average, anywhere from 250 to 500 plus, depending on the different features that you want the jacket to have. Um, but if you do want to shop a lower price point than that, you can shop places like J. Crew or Banana Republic or even Amazon. They have really great dupes um, that give you that same look and feel of the barber jacket. Okay, so um, number six is anything from the brand Smithson. Um, so if you're not familiar with Smithson, they are a high-end British brand of paper and leather goods. They sell high-quality stationery, planners, leather accessories like card and passport holders and briefcases and weekend bags. Um, and they also actually supply the Queen's stationery and leather goods for Philip. I think Charles also actually uses them for his office supplies as well. Um, but this is a luxury brand. So most of their items are pretty pricey. I shopped the website for, for two different options for you. If you wanna just give someone a small gift um, and, and you want it to be from Smithson, they do have um, a box of 10 stationary cards for $35 on their website. Um, you do have to pay for shipping, but they do ship to the US. And then I also found, this is a little bit more expensive, but a gorgeous wallet in the HRH blue, like Elizabeth Holmes book, um, that is 385. So, so more of a splurge, but just a classic, really nice wallet um, that you would definitely have for a long time. So number seven is something cashmere. Cashmere is so classic, it does not go out of style. Um, and the reason this item made the list is because for Diana's first Christmas with the royal family, she actually missed the memo of the <laughs> yeah. gag tradition. God love her. <laughs> and she gifted everyone cashmere sweaters and mohair scarves. Um, so, you know, I can't imagine how awkward that moment might have been for her. Um, but it's so Diana. I mean, a, a cashmere sweater is just classic. So, I mean, you really can't go wrong with that. Nobody bothered to give her that memo. God love her. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would take the cashmere sweater. I would yeah. Be Heck yeah. <laughs> so item number eight is the beauty sleep elixir by beauty skincare. So this is a clean, natural face oil. It contains 14 plant-based oils that fight inflammation and the breakdown of collagen, and they promote hydration in your skin. Kate was actually given a bottle of this oil one year by a member of her staff, um, and she reportedly still uses it, um, and she loved it so much, she gave a bottle to Meghan Markle, who also still uses it regularly. Hmm. So this oil retails for um, $70 a bottle. So, I mean, I think this would be a really great gift on its own, or you could pair it with um, some organic washcloths or, you know, some, some towels for the bathroom or something. I think that would be a really great gift. If anybody's listening, I would like this. So you've <laughs> been told. <laughs> Number nine is Kate's gold initial necklace. Oh, I love this one. 
Yes, we've seen her wear it several times this year. Um, it's got the three gold discs and each one has the first initial of each of her, her kids' names. Um, so the actual one that Kate wears is by Daniela Draper and retails for over $1,000. So if you want the original and you want to splurge on it, there you go. If you don't want to spend that much, I definitely recommend doing a Google search um, for a dupe. You can find very similar styles on Etsy um, or the website Mark and Graham. They have disc necklaces as well. And I mean, these are like under $100, some under $50. Um, so much more affordable if, if the $1,000 price point is not quite in budget. All right, and number 10, the last item on our list is something from the Buckingham Palace gift shop. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is really for people who just love commemorative items to do with the royal family. The Buckingham Palace gift shop, actually you can purchase online and they ship their items worldwide. So there are tons of pages online of the gift shop and um, you could dig around all day looking for gifts, but I, I found a few items that I'll share on here as recommendations. Um, the first one is the blue miniature teapot ornament. It retails for $33. Um, keep in mind, you do have to pay shipping, but it would be a really cute little ornament to give someone to hang on their tree or to include with another gift. Um, it's really, really pretty. And then if you have someone who is a tea drinker and um, would appreciate a full-size teapot, they have the Coat of Arms six-cup teapot, um, which retails for about $180. And um, they also have the longest reigning monarch commemorative teapot, which retails for around $200. Both of these are made with English bone china and finished with 22 karat gold. Um, so they are absolutely beautiful. They had a range of, of teapots, Rachel, that some of them were, I mean, like $1,000, like oh really. Gosh. But these were on the lower end and they were still incredibly beautiful and would be such a nice gift that you could pair with a box of English breakfast tea um, and give to someone who would really appreciate something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then one other just kind of a fun item they had on their website were um, corgi socks. So we know the queen is uh, famous for her corgis and um, you can actually grab a pair of socks on their website for $20. So um, just kind of a fun, maybe stocking stuffer or, um, or silly gift to give someone. I'm really glad that you did this gift guide at the beginning of December, because I was just thinking if you wanted to get something from the Buckingham Palace gift shop, it might take a minute to ship. And so yeah. If get on this, if you want something from from the UK, get on this now so it's here by the 25th, especially with COVID. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. I, you know, I mean, we're already seeing shipping delays. Um, I, I mean, if you're going to get something like that, I would say order it this week. Yes. So I have one final bonus item that I threw on here for fun. Um, this is a gift idea for anyone who wants to give maybe just like a family gift. If you're not gifting to every individual person, but you want to give one item for the whole family, my royally inspired recommendation here is a pizza stone. I love this. Um, 
yeah, so the Cambridges are really hands-on in the kitchen and, and Kate's revealed that her kids like helping out with meals. They enjoy making their own personal pizzas and choosing toppings that each one of them loves. Um, so Pizza Stone is just a great family gift that everyone can enjoy together. And I thought, you know, you could package this with a nice bottle of olive oil or an Italian spice mix. Um, or even wrap it up with a monogram tea towel or something like that. There are so many options with a pizza stone. And I think that's something that people will really, really use, especially if people are staying home more these days. Um, you know, you want to get creative in the kitchen and do something fun as a family. That's a fantastic gift guide. And we're going to put all of these in the show notes, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll link everything that we can. Um, and, and that, yeah, that wraps up our gift guide. So oh, I love it. Okay. So now all of you know exactly what to get me for Christmas. There's no <laughs> questions anymore. Just anything off that list, especially the skincare stuff, because your girl <laughs> is not getting any younger. I just turned 34. So um, that was a fantastic gift guide, Jessica. That was, that was awesome. And, I'm, and again, I'm glad that we did it this early. It, we're recording this on November 30th. So tomorrow is December. So when we post this episode this week, get on this if you want the stuff from the UK. And when you do get these products, let us know how you like them. So yeah, and I, I hope I provided something at, at price points for everyone. You know, I mean, we don't all have the same budgets and um, we all have a variety of different people in our lives that we want to gift for. I think most of these things um, air a little more toward your your gal pals or, or ladies in the family, but um, hopefully there's something on this list that I love it. Well, all of our listeners, <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into episode two of Podcast Royal. Many more to come. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll see you next week with hopefully some more upbeat news. And welcome to December, everyone. Bye. Bye.